Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Tuesday, August 22nd. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of RCP. I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief. You set for the first debate tomorrow, Tom? Carl, I know you're so excited because you're coming to Chicago and we're going to go drive up to Milwaukee and cover it together. Donald Trump made it official two days ago, I guess, that he's not going to these first couple debates and certainly not the one in Milwaukee. It looks like he's going to and may have already recorded a uh, an interview with Tucker Carlson that will probably air, you know, be posted to Twitter right around the time that GOP candidates are taking the stage at the Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee. Is this a good strategy by Trump? Bad strategy? Well, you know, it's it, it going to hurt him at voters, all. Voters don't usually like front runners who act like they've got it not, you know, wrapped up six months before the votes are counted. Tom, you know this. There's a danger there. But but then again, we don't normally have front runners who are, have already been president, already been nominated by their party twice, and uh, have been indicted in four separate jurisdictions on criminal charges. So Donald Trump is sui generis and always has been. But I and, and this debate, as you mentioned, it's in Milwaukee. It's not in Iowa. You know, I, I if if he was the first debate in Iowa, if that that debate was there and he was skipping that, um, you know, that's might be a he slightly one different. In 2016, yeah. didn't hurt him. I, yeah, that might be a slightly different d- dynamic, but but you know, so far he's look he's he's on that perch. He's w- what's this new Des Moines Register poll was out yesterday, Tom? What does it show? He's uh, at forty two, DeSantis at nineteen, Tim Scott at nine, uh, Haley and Pence at six, and Ramaswamy. Oh, Christie at five, and Ramaswamy at four. Yeah, so, so twenty three point lead your, for Trump. Well, that's not nothing, is it? No, and it's right in line with you know we had a Trafalgar pullout, had him up, had Trump up twenty six uh, in Iowa. You know, nationally, I think his lead's even bigger than that. Well, okay, but it's not time to do national polling yet, Tom. Let's let's wargame this out because you and I have covered these Iowa caucuses before. Is there any dynamic? And I, I'm not saying this because I can't accept that Trump might win. But is there any dynamic that changes that? You've got these polls. People people don't usually lie to pollsters, you know, no matter what people say, but you've got, remember these caucus votes have to be taken in per person. If somebody doesn't have a threshold, you know, somebody that it's, it's a caucus, it's not a primary. And you can start to see if, if, if DeSantis or someone or Tim Scott, you know, was close to Trump, would there be lobbying to get, to pull some of these other people away? You know, are there, are there dynamics you can foresee now that would suggest that polling could tighten up considerably? I mean, maybe again, you know, he's got a pretty strong lead. And the question is, uh, and Chris Sununu wrote a piece in the, in the New York Times about this yesterday saying, you know, we and we've talked about this before. It's not how many people are in the race. It's it's when they get out and can they consolidate early enough behind somebody. If, if you know, there are 10 candidates in the race on January 15th or even, you know, a little bit before that, it's going to be hard. But you can see, I mean, everybody – that uh, is in this race. Tim Scott's now over ten percent in Iowa. He's he's actually you know come up quite a bit in the polls. We just learned that Larry Ellison, the CEO of Oracle, is going to drop you know uh, eight million bucks or something. You know, write a big check to Tim Scott. He Tim Scott launched an eight million dollar ad campaign in the early states in advance of of the debate. If he has a good performance in the debate, he might be able to continue that upward momentum. And if some of these folks drop out. And they're, you know, they're, they don't want to vote for Trump. They could fall in line behind Tim Scott and you could have him, you know, get into. Well, well I hope Larry Ellison is writing, is, is writing the 
check to the super PAC and not to Tim Scott, because if he writes it to Tim Scott, we'll have another indictment, Tom. <laughs> another Republican candidate will be under a federal indictment. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, he could just say that Tim Scott's part of his, uh, you know, corporate board or something and, and pay, it, pay it to uh, via shell company to his son or something. Well, Scott's always been the candidate that interested me the most because because he's the one who reminded me of of, of Rick Santorum, a, a guy who's going to make an appeal. He's going to do the work, go to all these states, not well known in the state, but positive message, um, you know. And we're told cons- constantly that, often by Democrats, that the Republican Party is no longer the aspirational GOP of Ronald Reagan's day. Well. Those people saying that didn't like Reagan when he was around. So I'm, I still think there might be uh, a lane for a positive, upbeat candidate like like Tim Scott. I, I think maybe at some point this is going to turn. You know, this is these things run in cycles. I, I think this anger, these angry, these angry culture warriors, you know, that may that may run its run its course. Just as an interesting side note, we mentioned the Des Moines Register poll. Tim Scott has the highest net favorable rating of any Republican that's running in the race outside of, you know, Kim Reynolds, the governor and and Chuck Grassley. He's got a plus 42 differential between his, his favorable rating and his unfavorable rating. DeSantis is at 37, Trump's at 32, Haley 27, Ramaswamy 18, Mike Pence negative 11, and Chris Christie negative 32. <laughs> Chris Christie, <laughs> you caused one lousy traffic jam on a bridge. Oh, trust me. That's not why people don't like him. Uh, not in the Republican race anyway. Uh, okay. So we're going to have this big debate, Carl, and you know Trump is going to skip it. And, you know, some people are saying this is a bad thing for him. I, I just don't see it. My take on this is I don't see how it's going to hurt him at all, but it does present some opportunities for some of these other candidates. And if you're, if you are advising any one of these other candidates that's going to be on the stage, what, what do you? What would you tell them to do to try and make their mark on uh, Wednesday night? Well, it's a subtle thing. I what they have to do, all of them, is get people to imagine a Republican Party future where Donald Trump's not the titular head of the party. They have to imagine this person in leadership role. They have to imagine the voters have to imagine this is the person that's going to be the standard bearer. We used to say, you know, acting presidential. Well, that doesn't quite mean what it used to, in part because of Trump and in part because of Joe Biden. But but they have to create – there's a hurdle you have to get over. Um, and it's not about credentials, you know. It's it's about can people see you in the role. That So from 30,000 feet, that's my that's, – that's what I'll be – that's what I'll be looking for. Who – Yeah. <laughs> I would I would tell them to, to to comport themselves in a way that people can see them as the head of the party. The Republicans right now are not looking for a president yet. What they're looking for is a person to lead their party. And you know, this reminds me, Tom. We keep talking about Trump. We've mentioned this last three weeks. Skipping the debate. Part of the risk there is if he's not there, people start to imagine other people there in that role. So it's a subtle thing, but if people think. If somebody makes a really good impression, a couple of them do, two or three of them do, some undecided voters are going to think, okay, I can see, you know, I think what was done to Donald Trump was unfair. I voted for him last time. I'd vote for him again in a general election campaign. But, gee, look at this fresh young face. Look at this person I didn't know. Maybe maybe it's time to turn the page. 
How about you? What do you think? Yeah, I would, I would, my advice to them would be don't attack Donald Trump. Maybe it'd attack Joe Biden and the Democrats. And because that's what GP voters want to hear. They don't, most of them like Donald Trump. And as you said, most of them think he's been unfairly attacked by, you know, the Justice Department and all these prosecutors. So I would, I would not even get anywhere near trying to criticize. And that's why I think Ron DeSantis is really screwed up his entire campaign because he keeps attacking Trump from the right on all these issues and it's just not gotten him anywhere. In fact, it's it's got him headed in the wrong direction. Well, but you say that, but I was on, I was watching Morning Joe yesterday and somebody made the observation that Well, that's a that's a good source for, you know, if you want uh, well, incisive Republican simple, commentary. It's a simple math problem, Tom. If Donald Trump has 44% of the vote in Iowa, that means that 56% of the Republicans, all of whom know this guy and know him very well, and most of them who voted for him, have decided to look elsewhere already. we got a couple minutes See, left. You can, you can learn things on MSNBC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got a couple minutes left. Let's switch gears. Talk about Joe Biden. He finally now um, broke away from his second vacation that he's been on <laughs> to go visit Maui, where I don't know what the body count is now, but it's it's horrendous. And there's still hundreds of people missing, including a bunch of kids. You know, by all accounts, it's, it was a real terrible tragedy. The administration was, you know, and Biden in particular, was hit over this because he was, you know, lounging on the beach. And when he was asked about it, he said no comment. He just didn't. And then finally, the administration, you know, they had the FEMA director on, uh, you know, on a conference call and for one of the press briefings. But did Joe Biden fumble this is is question number one. And will it hurt him? And question number two, Carl, because you're you covered the Bush White House. George Bush got absolutely flayed for flying over Katrina uh, after that happened. Is this uh, is is there a media double standard at play here? The way Biden's being treated because it doesn't seem to be like the media is making that big of a deal of it thus far. Look, I, I covered the White House as you know for 15 years. I was covering uh, that. I was covering the White House at that time. George W. Bush was in a was that actually the White House said he was at a VA center in San Diego when which was partially true, but then he went to a fundraiser, a GOP fundraiser, late that evening as as New Orleans was filling up with water waited another day, flew back to Crawford, stopped a day there, flew over the site, had Air Force One go down so he could view it, came back, waited a day, then went back. It was an indecision. Uh, And you're right, he was pilloried for that. Um, You know, there are two schools of thought about that. Like, you know, first of all, what can a president do in a situation like that? And, and, when the president doesn't go right away, his handlers say, well, he doesn't want to be in the way. He wants to be a distraction. The first responders and everybody have to be doing their thing. And, right. and that's what Biden said. Well, that's actually true. But the, but this is also true. When George W. Bush finally got to New Orleans, I, I think it was Saturday, people came up to him and hugged him. People without homes, you know, you know hugged him. Said, oh, they're so glad you're here. And he hugged them. And they were... It's an odd convention in a way because it's it's a lot of work and there's nothing specifically the president can do. But the American people have grown accustomed when these kinds of things have the president either show up or or give a solemn address or something. We're like the the the, the president has become, and this is goes back you know twenty thirty years. You know the mourner in chief, the solace 
keeper in chief. And it, I remember it dates to the, the first one I knew about was a hurricane. It was a hurricane in 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 Louisiana, and LBJ didn't want to go. And he's on. There's a tape. He's telling the a senator. I can't remember the senate which senator it was. He's saying, you know, I'll send my best man. And the senator said, we don't want your best man. We want you. And Johnson did go down there. And, and since that time, it's grown steadily more, you know, so Ronald Reagan gives this speech when the, when the space shuttle blows up, people are, Bush is expected to go. From that standpoint, Joe Biden did not behave like a modern president. He, he did fumble it in that respect. We've gotten used to that on the, and, and, and is there a double standard with the press a bit? Sure. But, but again, it's Hawaii. It's a long way off. That the the resources are very strained there. I personally wouldn't criticize him for not going. And look, Biden has a lot of faults, Tom. But I don't think lack of empathy is one of them. I, I don't. I don't think it's going to hurt him. I don't think people are going to think he doesn't care. You know, it's interesting, Carl. We we got to wrap this up because we're running up against time. But it's interesting to just sort of notice, like. I guess it's the the advisors and the brain trust. How do they decide which which events to go to and which events not to? I mean, he still hasn't gone to East Palestine, right? And he said he would go there at some point. Still hasn't gone there. Yeah, I don't think he's going to go there. I don't think he's going to go there. But you know, <laughs> well, people he, were saying, "Look, and this guy, he talks about some mass shootings and not others. Depends on depending on the politics of the of the shooter." So his supporters <laughs> said, "Listen, you know, nobody died there, and so it wasn't a you know, and derailments happen all the time. What does he got to go to every single derailment?" It's like, okay, well, Tom, I said that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you can tell I was not very convinced by that argument. But you know, a bridge collapses in Philadelphia. He's there in the next day with you know his big entourage promoting the fact because it's a uh, infrastructure. And it's, I, I don't know, Carl, it just, um, I wish there was more rhyme or reason to this other than, you know, it seems like political calculations, but that's just me. Wait, there's politics in the White House. Stop the presses. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is a crazy thing. All right, we'll leave it there for this morning. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder, president of RCP. And I'm Carl Cannon, normally the naive one on this podcast, but today the, the, the realist. And I'm Washington Bureau Chief, and this has been the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. Touche.